As we move towards a carbon neutral economy, a very real conversation is taking place that affects most homeowners in Australia. What do we do about gas? Many of our homes are connected to gas, whether it's for heating or cooking. We rely on it. But if we want to reduce our carbon footprint, something needs to change. I'm Phil Bourne and this is What's Next, a podcast from Energy Consumers Australia that explores new connections for a people-powered energy transition. Today on the show, Energy Consumers Australia's Director of Energy System Transition, Brian Spack, speaks with Tony Wood, the Director of the Energy Program at the Grattan Institute. Tony recently authored a report called Getting Off Gas, which makes a number of recommendations for what Australia needs to do if we want to hit net zero. And with over 5 million Australian households currently using gas at home, it's important to explore ways to reduce our dependence in a careful and considered way. Enjoy the conversation. Well, hi, Tony, and uh, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Um, before we really get going into um, the recent report that you that you helped author and publish, I wanted to ask you about um, yourself as an energy consumer. So I think I know that you live in Melbourne, but you know, what type of house do you live in? Do you think a lot about your personal energy consumption? Oh, look, Brian, I think is a bit of an energy nerd. I suppose I do and more than on average, but I don't think I'm completely obsessed with it. Um, I'd have been uh, actually moved from Brisbane to Melbourne about 15 years ago. And um, when I was in Brisbane, I actually had some responsibility some years ago for a gas network in Queensland. So I'm familiar with the, the role of gas. When we moved to Melbourne, initially, we had a house that um, had gas. And then more recently, we moved to an apartment in Melbourne. And in that case, um, the apartment is fully electric. We have electric induction cooktops. We have electric um, ducted heating and cooling. Um, and we have a, an electric storage hot water system, which is probably going to be on its way out pretty soon. Um, I've also got a very small um, property in regional rural New South uh, Victoria. And that, pro- that property is completely off-grid. It's got solar panels. Um, it's got a battery. And it just happens to have a small diesel generator um, when I need it. So I'm sort of delving and playing with virtually every form of energy around the place. And I've also got an electric vehicle, which is a beautiful car to drive. But um, we did have some challenges organizing in our apartment building to get the uh, be able to charge the electric vehicle because, of, you know, in an apartment building, your garage and your apartment are a long way from each other. And so um, we had to do some organization through the body corporate to put in a charging facility where we park our car. It was all done. Works perfectly, so I'm very happy with that outcome as well. So I live in Newcastle, and I I rent a flat there with my family, and um, we have a wonderful relationship with our landlords. We know them kind of personally, and a few years ago, let them put in a gas instantaneous water heater. It works great for what it's worth, but it is um, this interesting challenge that you know is directly related to your report about about getting off gas um, and in, in the, the, the direct sort of personal people problems that that challenge is really all about. So, so maybe let's get to that report. Um, why did you write it? Well, partly we began this piece of work having done some stuff at the, uh, the big end of the gas industry, that is the uh, producers and developers of liquefied natural gas projects and people who use electric uh, gas for power generations and so forth. Um, and we, when we looked at what a couple of the state governments were doing, and we realised that 
you know what, even though it's not a big volume of gas that's being used in households and uh, small businesses, there are a very large number of people who have gas in the homes in which they live, whether they're renting or owning. And there's a very small number of people who are very, la who are very large users in the industrial sense. And what you do about them is fundamentally different because you can basically, once you change your technology in a large um, uh, chemical process, like some of the ones I know of in Newcastle, um, you do it once and it's done for the one facility. When you've got five million households across Australia or two and a half million in Victoria, you've got a very different challenge and you can't do it overnight. That means you've got to take as much time as we can or as much time as we've got. And of course, because we haven't embarked on this journey yet, um, we've lost probably the last 20 years when we should have been moving down this pathway. Um, not only have we been doing the sort of thing that you just described, which in some ways is making the problem worse, um, but in addition to that, we haven't been making any progress. And so we, whilst there have been people leaving the gas network because they've discovered that for various reasons they prefer electricity, they've also been connecting new consumers to the gas network. And that really is a problem. It's like, you know, trying to fill up a bucket with water and there's a hole in the bottom. Right, yeah. I think the, um, the most recent statistics I've seen from Energy Network Australia are that 100,000 homes, new homes are connected to the gas network every year. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I guess I want to delve into, because it's a fantastic report, and it's on this really important topic that, you know, that I think a lot of people are talking about in Australia right now, about the value of electrification and the fact that that can make sense for households. Um, I think one of the things that I think about a lot for, for households and small businesses, there's a, for them to kind of go on their journey to decarbonization, there's a need for them to get off gas. But there's also a need for them to get off petrol um, or diesel and petrol and diesel emissions, I think, are, or transport emissions associated with households are a lot higher than gas, than, than the emissions that come from using gas appliances. That might vary a lot by state. So this is about taking home appliances from gas to electricity. There's a separate but related challenge of taking vehicles off of fossil fuels and moving them on to electricity. Um, how do you think those two things are sort of related? And, you know, do you, is there a, do you sort of rank them in importance or anything? I think what's happening here, Brian, is that where we used to treat, when say we, the energy industry, used to treat gas and electricity and transport, even though they all involve energy, as very separate systems and very different um, relationships with the consumer, that's all changing. And for the reasons you mentioned, we're starting to see them being integrated and people are already making those decisions, but our policy and regulatory framework, that is the way this is all done physically and the way it's paid for, hasn't caught up and isn't keeping up with the decisions individual consumers are making. And so that becomes a real challenge. So for example, you know, the uh, electric vehicle that I have um, stores about, the number doesn't won't necessarily resonate with too many people, but let's put it, 90 kilowatt hours of electricity could be stored in the battery in that car. Now, what does that mean? Well, that's the equivalent of three or four days of my electricity consumption. So I could literally power my home, my apartment, from the electricity for three or four days from that car. Now, I'd probably never do that, but it gives you an idea of how these things are being connected. So most of the time, 
when I um, when I do drive the car, I don't drive the car every day. I fill the car. If the car needs a bit of a charge, I'll give it a bit of a boost overnight, no problem at all. And then we just take electricity from the grid, if you like. We've never really used it to go the other way, but it may be just like people have installed batteries in their home to go with their solar panels, they could use the electric vehicle in the same way. Now, I think that's going to take a while for people to get used to the concept because I think the big thing that's happening here is that up until fairly recently when we were worried about climate change, our natural tendency and where we put the blame for climate change was at the big companies that were producing all this electricity from coal and gas and aren't they terrible and why don't they stop? As we're talking about the very issue that we're discussing, Brian, it's we, we're the ones who are burning gas in our homes and we're the ones who have to think about changing. Now, that means it's a very different message. It's a very difficult political challenge. And the objective isn't to make people feel guilty about what they're doing, but is to help them understand what their choices might be in the future and why, as you said before, a decision to go towards an electric future might be the right decision for them. Now, that means a huge communications challenge for governments and the industry to get on board with this. And I don't in any way trivialise that because I think that's going to be a bigger challenge. The technology side in some ways is relatively straightforward. It's the social and um, demographic issue that's going to be very difficult. You did a pretty detailed examination of why electricity is a more viable solution for um, removing fossil fuel gas from Australia's domestic economy than other alternatives, which are kind of, as far as I can tell, hydrogen or biomethane, green gas is what you call it. Do you think the gas networks kind of appreciate all of the difficulty of this and have kind of given up on the dream of of hydrogen or green gases? Look, I think the um, one of the reasons we haven't talked about why we wrote this report is because when we started talking to various people about the challenge of electrification, you start to find all these reasons why this is going to be difficult. And one of our answers under those circumstances, well, if you think it's going to be too difficult, don't bother. But of course, the answer is you can't do that either. It's only going to get worse and harder. And if we don't do it, we're not going to meet our emissions targets, et cetera, et cetera. And so you've got to crystallize that issue in the minds of decision makers. Now, there are consequences of what we're talking about. And it may be that um, where electricity is not an easy replacement for fossil gas today, and that can sound like a negative term, but we don't call it fossil coal. Um, it comes from, it's, no, it's no more natural than coal in a sense. But, um, you know, the, the idea that we can um, address this is something that needs to be very carefully communicated. Now, for the networks, the idea that there could be some situations, and there could be many of them, where hydrogen is produced on site where electricity can't do what, the, what natural gas does or, or fossil gas does. That is, provides uh, a chemical for making fertilisers or explosives. It provides very high temperature heat. I mean, electricity can get you, you know, 100 degrees, 150 degrees maybe, but um, getting to six or 700 degrees with some manufacturing processes require electricity is finding it would find it much harder to do that if not at all possible if not impossible so in those cases maybe some form of gas is and renewable gas in particular is the right answer but when you look at the broad scale of homes and small businesses which is where we've been focused those millions of people who've got that in their homes or their small businesses that's when we think the challenge is much different now you know the problems the challenges with hydrogen and some form of biogas 
yes, they are, particularly if the hydrogen is made from renewable energy, is that they, um, they can be near zero emissions, um, but they are very expensive. And the timescale in which there'll be enough available of it to be commercially viable is a long way off, even in the best circumstances. And it seems to us that you buy, the reason you might want to hang around to see if it turns out well for changing over to another gas, um, mean the, the challenge you, you end up with is that, well, people aren't getting the benefit of um, lower, lower prices, lower costs of their energy. In fact, if anything, the cost would go up. Um, they're not getting the benefit of um, reducing emissions. And the longer we leave it, the harder it will be because you've got to make some pretty bold assumptions into the future about when hydrogen, for example, might be cost competitive. Now, if you're a gas network business, this is a very significant consequence for your business because at least at the, at the extreme, and maybe this is an extreme that won't evolve for quite some time, um, basically the assets that you have built um, uh, in good faith over the last, I mean, not you personally, but your business has built and their predecessors and their predecessors, in some cases over almost you know, 150 years in this country, those assets effectively are going to be stranded or written down to zero or whatever. And that is a very significant financial challenge for these businesses. And so how you deal with that becomes a big deal and explains why those network businesses uh, are very focused on trying to identify other ways in which that asset they have today could remain an asset and not become a liability. You're listening to What's Next and we're going to take a quick break from the conversation to get an update from Energy Consumers Australia's grants program. As Tony and Brian are discussing, the challenges for the energy sector are huge and one group that can't be left behind are migrants which is the group that Sydney Community Forum are focusing on with this project. The Voices for Power Community Empowerment Training Project addresses the lack of community engagement in the energy transition from migrants by providing training days and workshops to upskill their knowledge base of energy bills and the associated technology. Asha Ramzan, Executive Officer of Sydney Community Forum, talked to us about the project and the promising outcomes in a recent workshop in Sydney. The Voices for Power program, the Train the Trainer project, is actually something that grew out of a grassroots engagement with migrant communities. We assume a lot of things because we live it, but they don't naturally understand our system, but also how it works and how they can participate. So it covers the energy system, how to read your bill, uh, how to negotiate a better deal, and then safety, and then renewables, which is exciting. People have got a better deal. They've been able to change from a standard contract, which they'd rolled into after their contract was over, into a contract that suited their household. And then we've had people who've taken on solar. I mean, I'm one of them. I've got the information, which is knowledge, which is power, and the confidence um, to actually get solar panels on my home and to understand what I was actually getting and the impact it would have. So it's been, I've experienced it firsthand, and then their community members who are telling us about what they've been able to take action on. Grant application process was really great because we'd already been doing the work, we already deeply engaged, I knew exactly what we needed the funding for. And being able to write that based on all the previous work and learning and understanding how this works, the co-design process, that was really great. Uh, ECA has been, you know, it's been a collaborative process. Uh, and that's really exciting for us because not all funders get that. 
That was Asha Ramzan from Sydney Community Forum talking about their successful grants project. Now we're going to jump back into the conversation with Tony Wood and Brian Spack about the electricity and gas transition. I think one of the difficult parts of this conversation is it actually requires a lot of nuance, right? So, I mean, I think what, you know, what you're talking about, what your report really makes very clear is that for, especially for residential consumers, electrification is clearly the best option. Um, Residential consumers also pay about 90%, usually a little bit more than 90% of the cost of the gas network. The gas network is about 50% of a typical residential household bill. It's much less smaller percentage of uh, a commercial or industrial um, customer's bill. So I guess the, the question is, do you think the gas network is going away entirely or just is most of it going away, especially maybe to you know residential suburbs? Look, I think it's the latter. That is, most of it's going to go away to residential and suburbs. Now, one of the challenges here is that um, we know that, for example, um, there are 5 million households that use gas in Australia. Um, some of them use a very small amount of gas. It does vary dramatically across the country. So in Queensland, you mentioned the, you know, the percentage, how much of the percentage of your bill is the network costs and how of the transporting the gas and how much is the actual cost of the gas itself. If you live in Queensland and you get use gas for cooking, 90% or more of your gas bill is the cost of transporting that gas because you lose you use so little gas and yet the pipe that runs into your home is probably not much different in size from the pipe that runs into a home in Melbourne that uses um, uh, 10 times that amount of gas. And Melbourne, places like Sydney and Newcastle and Adelaide are in between. And so the economics of this do vary quite a lot. Um, and I think that's where some of the challenges right lie here. So, for example, you know, I mentioned before that um, we won't achieve our emissions reduction targets if we don't get off gas. Now, that applies in spades in Victoria, where the majority, the biggest users of gas are homes and businesses. The majority, of more than 50% of gas is used in homes and small businesses, whereas in Queensland, the, the biggest users of gas are industrial users. And if every single customer in Brisbane who's using gas today stopped using it, you'd hardly even notice the impact on emissions. So even though the direction is the same, the timing might be very different from how quickly Queensland follows the pathway we're talking about versus how quickly Victoria or um, or New South Wales does it. So again, there's some you mentioned before, there's a lot of nuances here. I think one of the nuances is that um, A, we don't have to do it overnight and B, um, the rate of change will be different in different parts of the country because we use gas so differently. Um, your report has a number of recommendations. Um, kind of two at the end are, are really about this topic we've been talking about right now. So one is move toward a single consumer-centered regulatory framework for energy that efficiently and fairly allocates costs over time. And I think what you mean there is instead of treating electricity consumers and gas consumers as separate entities, recognize that they're that they're sort of the same thing or that they're connected. Why did you come up with that recommendation, what it would do, and how do we achieve it? Well, I think um, the first bit is to recognize that um, from the consumer's perspective, what they're looking for is a range of outcomes in their home, um, which in many cases are different than what they would have been 30 or 40 years ago. I mean, electricity is just used for so many things. Parts of our, you know, you know these days our telephone system doesn't work without electricity, uh, even though it used to. 
Um, you know, we, we, uh, we, our entertainment system, our communication system, not just our telephones, but our computers and all that sort of stuff um, run on electricity. You even, you even need electricity in, some, in many cases to um, use your gas, uh, your gas cook-up because they, need a, they have an you know, electric starter um, and our cars as well. So I think the, the way in which we use electricity and energy generally is becoming more integrated. So whether our car is running on um, uh, we, we did. We have in Australia. We have at times had um, a relatively small percent, but uh, you know, five to ten percent of cars at one point um, were running on liquefied petroleum gas (LPG). Um, that's fallen away a lot because the modern cars um, can do the same job just as well, if not more cheaply, than um, than LPG. But that's that's that used to be a significant issue in Australia. And of course, you know, the country that you you you've come from, Brian. If you use the word gas, people assume you're talking about petrol. Um, not in Australia. So yeah, the, the words we use and what we use them for are very, are very important. So the, the role of um, the vehicle and the gas supply and the electricity supply are all fundamentally part of the energy supply to our lives. And what we need to understand better, and to be fair, most of us would really not, don't want to know. I mean, we want things to work. We want to you know, turn on the light switch and the lights come on. We want to, you know, be able to cook our food with the least amount of hassle. We don't want to have to. We don't want a relationship with an electricity company, for heaven's sake. Um, but this is now becoming a bit more of a challenge. And I think when we get through this, it'll be a bit like the mobile phone. When you know, a few years ago, no one could understand all these bloody complicated plans that these energy t- telephone companies were talking about. And um, and eventually, they worked out you can make it a lot simpler. The same thing will happen with energy. But we're not there yet, so it is. Comp- it has become very complicated, and that means, particularly for even nerds like you and me, it's hard enough. But those who are not, um, it has become a very complicated set of decisions. So, there's a role for organisations to help provide that interface. So, what this means is not just make the dis- help people make a decision when the decision point comes up, but help to inform people that we are going in this direction. It's probably the most important single recommendation in our report in a way, and that is for governments to make it very clear, this is the direction we need to go to, this is why, this is how you are going to be better off, and when you do come to make the decision, you don't go out today and replace perfectly good gas appliances with electric appliances. What you do is be ready so that when your appliances do fail, and in the next 25 years or so, our, each of our, if we do have gas at the moment, those gas appliances will fail and they'll need to be replaced. And that's the time, making sure you've already got the right information to change over to electricity. And that's the sort of thing I think is going to be very important if we're to make this transition without major disruption. You know, in your report, you talk about sort of the change from analog to digital TV is sort of like a, you know, a big change that that affected you know nearly every household, um, but that was you know there was plenty of communication. There's there's an older um, Australian example actually, which is the um, the move off the pound onto the dollar, which required you know a change in in something people touched every day, you know, currency and all the all the cash registers um, in Australia. And yet it, it um, it's a, it's a fascinating one to look at because people you know people generally regarded it as a, an an enormous success. Um, there wasn't a lot of division after it. It was different than today's political environment. Uh, certainly, the one that you sort of reference in the U.S., but even to a certain extent in Australia, the you know I think there's less bon homie than than there probably once was here. Oh, look, there would have been a time, uh, Brian, when people would have been suspicious about these um, 
the uh, you know, motor vehicles and they preferred their horse and buggy and so forth, right? Um, so there's lots of things that we sometimes are very comforted by and we're comfortable with, but um, and, and sometimes we look back on those decisions and we say, well, how the hell did we ever do that um, in the past? But And this is one of those. But in the middle of it all, it doesn't feel like that. And so I think we are we are now right at the almost early stages of a long journey. So Tony, there's um, there's a lot of recommendations in your report, all of them sensible. Um, where do we start? Well, there's so many recommendations because there's so much to do, but a lot of them all come together. Overwhelmingly, the place to start is to decide we're going to undertake this this journey. For governments to say, this is what we're going to do, this is why, this is how, and this is when. And then once you've got that clear, you can't stop there, of course. You mentioned before about targets. Targets are absolutely essential, but they're not sufficient for everything. So I think setting the direction on the time scale gives people the confidence to say, well, I'll be able to make these decisions when it suits me rather than when it suits somebody else. Well, thanks for that, Tony. And thank you um, and your colleagues at the Grattan Institute for, for authoring this report. It certainly um, has given me and, and and hopefully lots of policymakers in Australia um, some important things to think about. Um, and thanks for, for taking the time to, to you know speak with our audience today. Um, to share your wisdom and, and sort of the insights that you've learned um, writing this report. Thanks, Brian. We appreciate the opportunity through the ECA to do that. What's Next is brought to you by Energy Consumers Australia, the national voice for energy consumers. Thanks to Tony Wood from the Grattan Institute for joining us for this episode. The interview was conducted by Brian Spack and production and editing was by the team at Lawson Media. If you're interested in contacting the show, please send us an email at podcast at energyconsumersaustralia.com.au. I'll also put some interesting resources about the gas transition in the episode show notes. I'm Phil Bourne, and I'll speak to you next time.